This episode of Scandal Water contains adult themes and descriptions of violence. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Well, Ashley. Hello, Candy. We're starting a new theme today. We are. It's the first day of spring, so we're springing into a new topic. Yes. And the topic is an interesting one. Yeah. We decided we would focus this month on putting the scandal in the scandal water. That's right. We're going <laughs> to brew it up, baby. And we are coming out of the gate hot because <laughs> we have a really, really interesting, if if sad, yeah. topic. But it's one that has intrigued people for decades. Mm-hmm. Let's just go ahead right off the bat and, and put out a listener caution on oh, this one yeah. because we're going to talk about some things in this episode that will not be for for every set of ears yes so we're going to be talking about true crime we'll get to the exact topic here in a minute but since we've mentioned true crime i think everybody who's listened to us actually knows by now that we have an interest in that yes we do what are just maybe one or two true crime cases that have affected you or just stood out to you in some way affected me how i don't know resonated with you caused you to change behaviors gave you Mm. something to think about maybe it's just one that you think about it you read it 10 years ago and every now and then it just pops into your mind still well i would say we've already covered one of them which was adrian shelley okay so that one really really affected me Mm -hmm. when it happened as far as let's just say let's just say one that's intrigued me I would say Lizzie Borden Mm. intrigues Mm -hmm. me. You know, anytime something comes up on that, I'll always go, hmm, did she do it? Or what's the, what is, what's a new fresh take? Another one is Jack the Ripper. Like who was Jack the Ripper? very interested in that. Doesn't affect my everyday life. Just something that you wonder about. Another one is... Amelia Earhart, mm-hmm. what happened to her? Yeah, but again, they don't affect may not my be life. True crime, no, but, no, but it's a mystery. Or it could be because there's could, some yeah. there's some theories that she was actually captured and that something mm-hmm. happened to her on an island. So as far as true crime affecting me, it would be Adrian Shelley. The others, it doesn't affect my life. It's just one of those curiosities. Like, hmm, I wonder if this will ever get solved. Yes. Because I'm the person asking the question, I had a chance to think about it. And I think a couple that really stand out to me would be Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. I don't know anything about that. Well, I read it along with the second one that comes to mind. These are these are similar in, in the way that they've affected me. The other one is Helter Skelter, The Manson Murders. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, I read them when I was too young. Too young to read I them? I should not have read mm-hmm. them at such a young age mm-hmm. because... I recall being so not just scared like I mean they they were frightening and and disturbing and all the things tragic Mm -hmm. but also disillusioned 
I did not realize there were such evil, evil. people yeah. in the world yeah. or that yeah. such terrible things yeah. happen to people. So it opened my eyes mm -hmm. and I think it's one of the reasons, I think it's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in true crime because it, it was so affecting, but it was also, I think, one of the first times where I was like, oh, I need to... I need to think about things more carefully. Yeah. Oh, I need to be a little more cautious. Yeah. There, there are things out here that I did not realize. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned being intrigued by your examples because some of them are still unsolved. Yes. Because that's actually an angle that's going to come up in today's episode. And knowing that, I kind of latched on to this Time Magazine article that, that came across my radar because it was called Top 10 Unsolved Crimes. Really? I will tell you that the focus of this episode did make the list, but I thought maybe you might like to try to guess some of the others. I know you know the topic of today's episode. I do, yes. Yes. Do you... Okay, so tell me the category. Is this... Uns it's literally called Top 10 Unsolved Crimes. Of anything, it doesn't have to be entertainment-based? Well, I, I would say Lizzie Borden would be on there, right? She did not make it. I guess because they consider it solved, but they don't. We don't know who did it. Right. Hmm. Unsolved. You've already named one person. Amelia? Not Amelia. What? Who, did I, who else did I say? Oh, Jack the Ripper? Jack the Ripper Who's made Jack it. Who's Jack the Ripper? He made the list. He made the list. Uh, who kidnapped a Lindbergh baby? Well, no, we, supposedly have, we have supposedly have somebody that did that, although I'm not sure about that one. I guess I, give me a clue. They're not all famous murder cases. Okay. A one is a literary person that was featured at your theater not long ago. Poe. The death of Edgar Allan Poe. That is really, yes, it's very mysterious. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be a very cool episode at one point. I remember reading about that going like, mm, I think this guy had, there's, you know, how I lean into the weird and wonderful. There's just a good argument to be made. Like, did he time travel? Because it was so odd the way that some of the stuff that he wrote about ended up happening. And it was just interesting. So mm. yes, Poe. A couple of these are cases that happened in our lifetime, and they had a huge media frenzy. OJ? OJ is one of them. The Nicole Brown, Ron Goldman double murder made the list. Okay. That it's unsolved? Yes. Okay. And then there's one that involves a young girl. John Benet. John Benet Ramsey. Is I was on actually the list. just watching a video about that mm -hmm. this morning. Let me go ahead and share with you. Here's here are the ones that we've not yet said. Okay. The Zodiac killings. Oh. Tupac Shakur and the notorious B.I.G. Oh. Tylenol poisonings. Yes. Oh man, do you know anything about the Tylenol poisonings? Talk about something freaking me out. Okay, yes. there it is. That freaks me out. The reason we have tamper-resistant yes, containers but now. even those can get tampered with. Well, I so, always check mine. Oh, man. Yeah. So the very, very short version of the Tylenol killings, which they have a lot of great content out there if you want to just spook yourself out is somebody went through and just randomly tainted Tylenol mm -hmm. capsules and people who took them ended up having horrible deaths and they still don't know who did that yeah I heard that a podcast episode about that one time and it was awful oh so yeah so concerning yeah sad we've not yet said I did not know what this one was I had to look it up the case of the disembodied feet what? I know. It's so many concerning things. Here's what it says. This is from, again, an article in Time. 
It said, since August of 2007, five human feet have washed ashore near Vancouver, British Columbia. No bodies, no heads, no clothes, just, just their feet. feet. Nearly all still clad in sneakers. Canadian authorities have yet to determine how the feet ended up there or why, though DNA tests matched one of the severed feet to a man who'd been missing for several months. And then it goes on to talk about how there have been lots of theories and etc. But, ah, oh, yes. And the last one I also had to look up because I was not familiar with this one either. It's listed as the women of Ciudad Juarez and apparently when I clicked on it it talked about the fact that it's sometimes called the city of the lost girls because it is an area near the Mexican border where there's a lot of poverty and it's said that hundreds some people say thousands of women have been raped tortured or killed over the past decade or so so Sad. Yes. Well, that's what Time Magazine lists as the top 10 unsolved cases. And this case wasn't on there? Or it was? It was. Okay. The last one that we've not yet said. And by the way, these were in no particular order. Okay. They're all just listed there as, you know, the last one that we've not yet named is the Black Dahlia. Mm -hmm. And that is the focus for today's episode, which we believe may be a Mm two-parter there's so much content here we're we're predicting this may end up being a two-parter so all right are you ready to let's dive in okay we're gonna start on january 15th 1947 just before 11 a.m a mother was out with her daughter some say two some say she was three they were in a los angeles neighborhood and something suddenly caught the mom's eye She saw something laying in the weeds, the grass, in a vacant lot near Lemert Park, just a few feet from the sidewalk. Now, at first, this mother thought that she might be seeing a mannequin Mm. because one of the comments she made was it was just so, so white. And it was also posed in a certain way. The figure's arms were up over its head. The legs were extended. And the most awful thing of all was that this figure had been sliced cleanly in half at the waist so that the torso was actually separated from the lower body by about a foot. Gosh. And then, now this is not something that this woman could tell by looking, but just to finish painting the scene, the killer had also removed at least one organ and beaten this person badly and cut three-inch gashes into both corners of this woman's mouth. Oh, really? Kind of like the Joker? Exactly. And in fact, since you brought that up, I'm going to pause for a second and follow that rabbit trail for just a moment. It made me think of the Joker Mm -hmm. smile too. So I went on to IMDB trivia for The Dark Knight. And this is the note that I saw listed there. Quote, in the original origin story of the Joker, he was disfigured by acid. Whereas in this movie, it was done by a blade. This ties into the notorious 1947 murder and disfiguration of Elizabeth Short, who was referred to as the Black Dahlia. The first time the Joker describes his scars, he says that they were made with a knife and were intended to create a smile. When Elizabeth Short was killed, this is exactly what was done to her face. Until the Manson murders in 1969, the Short murder and mutilation represented the most hideous and deeply shocking crime in all of Los Angeles' history. The concept in this movie 
that the Joker had a smile carved into his face adds to the terrifying nature of the character. Wow. So, so it was a tie-in. It was a tie-in. And I thought the commentary on IMDb also is very revealing about the crime that we are about to, mm-hmm. to talk about. This mm-hmm. awful, horrific murder and the impact How that influential it did. It yes, was. yes. So moving back into the scene... Even the police detectives, and you know, you expect them to be a little hardened because Mm -hmm. they see so many awful things. But even these police detectives who were working this case were taken aback by the brutality of what they saw. Brian Carr is a detective with the Los Angeles Police Department who, he was not part of this original group, but he worked the cold case for years. And he said at one point, quote, it was pretty gruesome. I just can't imagine someone doing that to another human being. Now, one other thing that was very strange about the scene was... Was that there was not a drop of blood. Really? Right. It appeared that the killer had drained this woman's corpse That's why of she blood. was so white? Yes. Ugh. Yes. And had also scrubbed the body clean. Ugh. Near the scene, investigators from the LAPD found a single heel imprint amidst a tangle of tire tracks, and there was also a cement sack laying over there. Now... I don't know that I actually saw this written in print, but different times as people were theorizing, it sounds as though the thought was that that sack might have been used for transporting the body to its placement Okay, there. when you said cement sack, at first I was thinking a... It had what? the cement in it. No, yeah, it was yeah. empty. Yes. Okay. It, it, yes. Now, a few assumptions that the detectives made pretty quickly were that the murder and the mutilation had to have happened somewhere else, again, because mm-hmm. there was no Lack blood, blood, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed that the killer had brought the body out there just to pose it in that spot. That seemed intentional. Mm-hmm. Plus, it seemed really clear that this murderer knew anatomy, knew how to bisect a body. Which it sounds is like a, a surgeon. It, it Yes. It is a complicated procedure Mm -hmm. that is something that they talked about quite a bit so they really felt that this killer had some type of pretty serious medical training Mm -hmm. what organ was missing did they say um i believe it was the uterus oh okay yeah now the police had no fingerprints or evidence from the killer because remember the body had been scrubbed very thoroughly but they were able to take fingerprints from this female and they came up with a match Oh, so they identified her through her fingerprints. Yes, they did. Yes. And the poor victim of this absolutely horrendous murder was a 22-year-old woman named Elizabeth Short. But she went by different names. Her One of her childhood friends said that she would sometimes be called Bet or Betty or Beth, but it sounded like Beth was her preferred nickname. So we're just going to call her Beth. Okay. Now... How does this connect, by the way, to our topic? Mm -hmm. Um, Beth was an aspiring actress. Mm -hmm. She was somebody who really wanted to break into Hollywood. They they referred to her as a Hollywood hopeful. So when we're thinking about our topic of, you know. Entertainment. Entertainment. And also our theme for the month, putting this scandal in scandal Mm -hmm. water. This is a very notorious case that did involve this, this tragic situation of this aspiring actress. So she wasn't even a starlet yet. She was a hopeful. Yeah, in fact, she never actually got an acting part. And isn't it weird that she attained probably all of the fame that she was looking for in her life through her death? 
Isn't that awful? It is absolutely, I, I, I keep using the word horrendous, but that, that's what keeps coming to my mind. It mm-hmm. is just awful. You know, I just saw a, to tie into our clown fears episode that we just did. I literally this morning saw something when you said terror, it reminded me. It was such a good video. I'm, I'm going to send it to you. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes where it talked about the difference between terror and horror mm-hmm. in films. Terror is what the character is going through mm-hmm. on screen. They are having something done to them, which is terrifying. horror is what we feel watching it happen to them oh that's interesting because we're not really afraid for ourselves right Right. we're horrified yes we're horrified by what is happening to them so saying you're horrified is a perfect response yeah well that was an interesting side note well let's go ahead and start at the beginning elizabeth short was born on july 29th 1924 in boston massachusetts and she was the third of five daughters born Mm. to cleo and phoebe may short now during the depression her father cleo built miniature golf courses but he suffered a financial setback i'm sure Mm -hmm. the depression was part of this And this led him to abandon his family. No. Yes. When Elizabeth Beth was either five or six, depending on the source. Uh-huh. Most of them said she was five. Well, then the two the, the two little ones had to be incredible, unless they're mm-hmm. from a different father. The littlest ones have to be, what, like three and one or yeah. an infant? Can you imagine? It's just awful. Damn. And two sources said there was a rumor. Now, they were very clear. They were very careful to say it was a rumor. But what they'd heard was that this man, did it by faking his own death of suicide oh that's that's terrible now your family is traumatized right on top of that beth was very sickly as a child she suffered severe bronchitis and asthma attacks and she underwent lung surgery when she was 15 so it wasn't an easy childhood it Mm -hmm. doesn't sound because the family struggled financially during her freshman year she dropped out of high school and she worked as a waitress in a movie usherette which is probably where she got the taste for the movies exactly that was something that they brought out one of her childhood friends who was interviewed in a podcast episode that i listened to she talked about how they felt like beth was going to go places Mm. she loved tinseltown she loved movies and she just seemed to be a Mm go-getter and mary i think was the name of her friend who commented she felt like that beth was really gonna do something she was gonna get out of town and poverty it seemed was something that was all around everybody yeah so that wasn't a hindrance they thought she was gonna escape it Mm. yeah now during her teen years at some point she had figured out that dad was out there and he was in california she figured it out I don't know how it happened, but apparently she knew because they started writing letters back and forth. Oh. Yes. So she and dad started building this relationship through the letters and he lived in California. Remember, she is an aspiring actress. She wants to make it big in Hollywood. Yeah. So when she is 18 years old, she moves out to stay with dad. But it does not work out well. All right. They did not get along. One source said that he kicked her out or Mm. asked her to leave. But regardless, she didn't stay with him very long. And she moved out by herself. She's still in California. Timeline was a little hard to follow. There honestly wasn't a ton of detail about her life. So I'm trying to put different things together. It was 1942 that she was 18 and she lived with her dad. I think it's around later in 1942 when she might have been arrested for underage drinking in Santa Barbara. Not positive. Okay. 
but we know that she was definitely arrested and she was in Santa Barbara because they took fingerprints from that's her at this they, time. That's where they, okay, that's how they were able that, to identify her. Well, that's one of the ways. They okay. had her fingerprints from this arrest and that's also when they got a mugshot of her. Oh. So they had a picture they could pull up immediately. Okay. That was another identification thing. And also it was something they could send to the press after this happened. So they sent out her mugshot to the press? I was able to find her mugshot wow. on the FBI website. They didn't have another picture? They used other pictures as well. But, and it may have been, maybe let me clarify, maybe they didn't send that out to the press. Maybe that was the police bulletins. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that. Well, after getting in trouble for drinking, this article on the Oxygen True Crime website said that the juvenile authorities sent Beth back to Massachusetts, but that she quickly moved to Florida. A side note is it said in a couple different articles that because of her health, she would go to Florida sometimes mm-hmm. to either stay with a family member okay. or a friend. So she had a connection there. She had a connection. So I'm guessing that she went home with mom and then decided, no, I'm going to go to Florida for a while. But she ends up back in California mm-hmm. because, again, she wants to be an actress. Mm-hmm. It specifically said that she never got an acting job. But a couple of sources said that at some point along the way, she may have had a couple of small modeling gigs. Okay. So that may have occurred during this time frame. But she was trying to earn money and different ways and one of the key ways she did that was by waitressing Mm -hmm. we know she was a waitress the other thing that we know is in 1943 she applied for a job as a clerk at the commissary of the army's camp cook yeah because world war ii is going on at this time Mm -hmm. and this is the second time that she was fingerprinted okay and so as you said these two incidents these two times where she was fingerprinted are how they identified her body so quickly after the murder now Moving back into the timeline, though, somewhere around this time is where she got engaged to Air Force Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., but then he was obviously enlisted and he was killed in a plane crash during World War II in 1945. Mm. So this was devastating, of course. Yeah. And some sources describe Beth as as becoming a bit... I don't know, unhinged or, mm-hmm. or lost during this time frame. There was some controversy. On if he even existed? No. Okay. About her behavior. Okay. So during this, the next couple of years, she drifted around a lot and it looked as though, some sources straight up said, she really never held down any jobs for any length of time. Uh-huh. So it seemed as though she fell into the habit, I guess you could say, of trying to rely on the kindness of strangers. Couch surfing. Yes. She would befriend people, whether it was a male or a female. Mm -hmm. She would try to find places to stay. She did date a lot. Mm -hmm. She went out with a lot of different men. I'm assuming part of that was meals Mm. and, you know, that type of thing. The other thing that it sounded as though, it sounded as though she was looking for a husband. Mm. Now, this is the 1940s. I think in that time period, sometimes that was a solution for women who had no money, who had no job. She sounds like she's a step up from homeless. She she was. They described her as homeless. And so I think it part of it was looking for somebody who would take her in because that was a solution to her. Right. It said that she sometimes would tell lies. She told some people that she had been married to that gentleman and that 
there was a baby. She'd lost a baby. There Mm -hmm. were different things that she did that people ended up criticizing her for very strongly afterwards. Mm. In fact, I would see things about, we're going to talk about the origin of her name, the Black Dahlia, in a moment, but... Some people would say it was because she wore lingerie or she wore sheer black clothing. Some people said that she might have been involved with prostitution. Mm -hmm. There were all kinds of things said about her. And then on the flip side, I would come back and I would see just as many sources that said this was not true, Mm. that she basically was in survival mode, Mm -hmm. that she she did couch surf. She did do some of those things, but that she was not involved with prostitution, that she she wasn't this promiscuous person that they Mm -hmm. painted her out to be. It's fascinating to me that these sources can be so confident and so wildly on different different spectrums. Like one says she's completely this way and here's our proof. The other one says, no, she's completely this way and here's our proof. That's incredible. Well, it is. And it's also something that was straight up acknowledged because one gentleman, we're going to come back to him later. His name was Larry Harnish. He was a reporter who ended up, he was assigned to do a 50 year anniversary article about this case. Mm -hmm. And so he started researching her and then he went down that rabbit trail and he ended up studying her for something like 20 years and wants to write a book about it. I hope he does. mm -hmm. Well, the point is, he said it was not long after the case that the facts already started eroding because all the things, paper sensationalizing Mm. things. A game of telephone where this person said that and then they repeat, they forget this part. Yeah. He said that in order to research her case, he had so many conflicting reports, so many facts that were inaccurate. He had to go back and start finding all the original documents, all the original police reports. And he started trying to find the people who were still alive so that he could get a firsthand account from them because things were so off. Wow. So that was a real thing. The other thing that was said, this same friend I've referenced a few times, which by the way, I should give a shout out. I listened to an episode from the A&E Cold Case podcast that was on the Black Dahlia. And they had interviews on there. They actually had Larry Harnish spoke. And so did a couple of other people, one of them being this friend of Bess from her childhood. I think her name was Mary, if I recall correctly. And Mary said there was victim blaming. She said that she felt after this murder, happened that people started piling on with Beth and they were saying these things almost as though she She deserved it. She deserved it. Exactly. Her perspective was that it was wrong and it was not fair. Mm. And she was her friend from childhood, not once she moved out, but just someone who had grown up. up. Okay, got it. So I wanted to address that head on because I feel like that's an important point. It is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Before we go on, why don't we take a quick break? Hey guys, we wanted to let you know about a new perk we're offering to our 1993 club members. We're starting something called This, That, or The Other, where our 1993 club members get to choose the episode topic when given three choices. For the fifth Tuesday in May, the options are, number one, The Barrymore Family Legacy, number two, New Mickey Mouse Club Stars, or number three, Celebrity Talk Show Hosts. If you'd like your voice to be heard, simply visit www.buymeacoffee.com coffee.com slash scandalwater pod to join the 1993 club before May 1st. Cheers. And we are back. So we were discussing that 
Elizabeth was in that part of her life where she wasn't really holding down a job. Mm -hmm. She was doing a lot of dating, doing a lot of moving around. Mm -hmm. And we don't know a lot, actually, of of what was going on other than that. Mm -hmm. But they do know that the last time she was seen was in the company of a man named Robert. His nickname was Red Manly. She had gone out with him. He was a married salesman. Mm -hmm. And he had dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel in LA on January 9th. Now, she had said, according to him, I believe it was his report, that she had told him she was going to be meeting up with her sister and she had asked to be dropped off there. I don't know if the sister was supposed to be there or if she just wanted to pick a spot like, oh, let me off here. Okay. But... Was her sister even in this town? They never found out. She was supposed to be visiting from Boston, but literally in a source it said, it's unclear whether the two ever met. Mm. But they do know that several people who worked at the hotel reported seeing Beth use a payphone. Okay. It looked as though she was making several calls. Okay. So people did speculate. Did she tell this guy a story because she wanted to move on? Was she really calling her sister? Was she calling someone else? Was she looking for a place to stay that night? You know, who knows? But that's the last time they had sightings of her. And that was January 9th. And it was on six days later that she was found murdered. And of course, her murder sent everyone into a frenzy. A real frenzy. Yes. In fact, to give an example, the day after her body was found, the Los Angeles Examiner newspaper sold more copies than it had any other day in its history, except for when it announced the Allied victory in World War II. Really? Mm-hmm. The Los Angeles record ran front page stories on Beth's murder investigation for 31 consecutive days, according to wow. The Guardian. So 47, the war has ended, and the only story that outshone her was the war ending yes everyone was so keyed into this because it was already shocking Uh but then the press is as we've said i think sensationalizing it even more they're doing everything they can to ride this out okay yeah brian carr that same detective we mentioned before who's work who did work the cold case for years i believe he's now retired but he said quote the case itself took on a life of its own early on i think for two months it was front page news in all the local papers every day now one thing that i thought was fascinating this is such a big deal actually after what 70 years Mm -hmm. or more that the FBI has a whole little section on her on really? their yes on their website and they I did not look at them but they have they got the pictures it looked as though they do they had uploaded documents and it looked like they had pictures I did not did want they, to does I that did. do you feel like that's a little um it bothered me yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that that should be out for everybody mm-hmm. to see but again mm-hmm. I didn't look at it so I don't know maybe it was I don't know I know that in the course of my research I saw pictures but it always had a sheet Blur. It had a sheet spread over her, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming the detectives at the time did. Mm-hmm. I did not find that listed anywhere, mm-hmm. but I know that they didn't understand DNA and mm-hmm. contaminating a crime scene. Right, right. The they were just trying that, to be respectful. Yes, that's what I'm assuming. So I did see some photos, as I was saying, with a sheet draped across her, but I was like, I don't want to see anything else. Mm-mm. But back to the point, the FBI website had several documents that I found fascinating. They had the mugshot. They had her fingerprint. You can literally see her fingerprint. They had some pictures. They told her story and they actually uploaded, this will be on our social media page and in our show notes, but they had the actual bulletin that they 
that had been put out yeah. the police bulletin after she was found. When and they didn't know who she was yet? Or they did? They knew who she was and they were trying to find more information. So okay. it was not long after the murder. I don't know exactly when it went out, but I thought I would have you read this oh, sure. to us. Text on the bulletin is description, female, American, 22 years, five foot, six inches, 118 pounds, black hair, green eyes, very attractive, bad lower teeth, fingernails chewed to the quick. This subject found brutally murdered, body severed and mutilated, January 15th, 1947 at 39th and Norton. Subject on whom information wanted last seen January 9th, 1947, when she got out of car at Biltmore Hotel. At the time, she was wearing black suit, no collar on coat, probably cardigan style, white fluffy blouse, black suede high-heeled shoes, nylon stockings, white gloves, full-length beige coat, carried black plastic handbag, two handles, 12 by 8, in which she had black address book. Subject readily makes friends with both sexes and frequented cocktail bars and night spots. On leaving car, she went into lobby of the Biltmore and was last seen there. Inquiry should be made at all hotels, motels, apartment houses, cocktail bars, and lounges, nightclubs to ascertain whereabouts of victim between dates mentioned. In conversations, subject readily identified herself as Elizabeth or Beth Short. So I thought we would actually end our part one around this time okay. because next time we're going to we're going to get into more of what happened once they started the investigation okay. and some of the theories and a couple of the top suspects. But this seemed like a good place to end to me because first of all, we have this picture now of Beth and who she was. I mean, obviously it, it could be so much more detailed. We, mm -hmm. we don't know a lot. Mm -hmm. It made me sad mm -hmm. <laughs> that that bulletin... Is the most we know about her? Right. I mean, like, here's this picture of this girl who led 22 years of this life, had all these aspirations, all these people that she interacted with. Yeah. And that's what she was reduced to mm -hmm. was this figure... Clinical, very clinical, very like, mm -hmm. here's who she is, here's what she looked like. And, and also the... She's been seen in lounges. Mm -hmm. cocktail bars mm -hmm. yeah and i mean i get it you you were gonna have to put down the the details and where to inquire and where to investigate but at the same time was there a tone it seemed like maybe there was yeah. a little bit of a judgy tone yeah. there. i yeah. don't know i don't know but we're gonna pause here for now okay and we're gonna go ahead and go into our armchair okay armchair psychologist and i thought i would start with that question that mary seemed to bring up for us is there some victim blaming here? I mean, do we feel like that's what's happening or? Probably. Let's put it in context of the time period. 1947. So you've got post-World War II. And what were the majority of the women doing? The majority of the women had taken over. Guys, this is coming from my brain. So take it or leave it. But from my memory, I think it's sort of like what happened in the League of Their Own. The women were taking over all the jobs. Rosie the Riveter. They mm -hmm. were running the country until the men came back. Mm -hmm. And so... So most of the women were hardworking, running things, running the family, supporting their men. And then we have this lady who had no home, mm -hmm. who is kind of bouncing around almost like a man would, where she's just trying to make it into the business. She's kind of out for herself mm -hmm. because she's trying to make a career for herself, but she's not really getting it. And in order to feed herself or find some place to sleep that night, she is, we don't know, sleeping on couches or finding dates that will accommodate her for the evening. And it's not something that would be behavior that would be smiled upon mm -hmm. in that time period. 
Right. So she's outside the accepted norms of the yes. of the society at that time. Yeah. And that's causing some people to look at her askew. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that's, that's she comes from a broken home. Right. Which they didn't know that yet. But the broken home, you have the father that sounds like he rejected her twice. Yeah. Yeah. First, mm-hmm. the first time faked his own death. I mean, that's rough. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what happened between them, but he seems like it's going to be good. He lure. I don't want to say lures. That's the wrong word because that has like negative connotations. But but he's kind of promises her come out to here yeah i'll support you and then she shows up and he's like oh i was just kidding or whatever I, mm. you're not welcome here and then we don't even know what happened with her mother she goes back to massachusetts she's rejected there or she decides that she doesn't want to be there goes to florida doesn't stay in florida long she just doesn't she doesn't put down roots and i think mm-hmm. at that time in our history it was very important that you had a root system mm-hmm. like this is what you're doing you're getting up you're going to work you're supporting your family what do you mean you don't have a place to call home mm-hmm. again i'm i'm just assuming but that's what this section is for in our podcast is that's assuming right. we're armchairing total assumptions mm-hmm. i go back to the fact that she was 18 when she went out to to try to live with her father and try to make her career uh-huh. break into hollywood or whatever it was she was doing so the time frame between when she did that and the time when she's murdered is four years mm-hmm. this this is a teenager young adult mm-hmm. who's trying to figure out how to survive Mm -hmm. and so most kids would be in college at this time mm -hmm. or still in their parents house right 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 Mm -hmm. right but I think I key into what you said just a little bit I keep trying to contextualize during this time frame I think this the statements you made are very true but I think also for a woman if she didn't see herself being the breadwinner having this very serious job if she was aspiring for Hollywood I think the other thing that was very acceptable for women at the time was to find a husband yeah was to find somebody to support them right and and so that's what I kept seeing because it kept talking about she was engaged to the one gentleman it did mention that she had another fellow that she tried to get engaged to I think she was really really looking for a husband Mm -hmm. I think well that would make sense because she didn't have a she I assume felt as though she didn't have a family system Mm -hmm. she didn't have she hadn't had her dad since she was a toddler and again we don't know what went on with her mom or her other sisters but they weren't in contact with her so she also comes across to me as very, on the one hand, she's very brave because she left home and did forge out and mm-hmm. try to try to fulfill her dreams. And the fact that she was able to move around meant she didn't have a lot of worldly possessions because I look around and I'm like, well, I'm only even leaving here if it burns down because I'm not packing all this <laughs> stuff up, you know, but she didn't have a lot of stuff. So she was mm-hmm. able to easily move from place to place. But I also feel that she was very naive. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yes. and I'm not victim blaming her at all. Like nobody deserves to get murdered, but I think she probably put herself into situations that you and I have talked about with a little bit more knowledge she could have avoided and possibly have avoided this, this fate for herself, which, you know, hindsight, but. I saw a couple of comments that sounded a little similar to what you're saying. One of the, I can't recall which one, but one of the researchers said she was 22 going on 15. Mm -hmm. This was a girl who was still very young and Mm -hmm. very innocent. Mm -hmm. 
and didn't really probably didn't know enough to be afraid of some of the unsavory mm-hmm. elements that were out there. Yep. And then the other thing was, I believe this might have been a lady who researched who who wrote a book or it was a detective. I remember it was a female who made this statement. She said that definitely not her fault. She's mm-hmm. there's no blaming here, but she said that because of her circumstances, Beth was in a very high risk situation. Yes. Like she yes. was she was just in situations where she was always high risk she yeah. felt compelled to approach strangers this, she's yes. staying in homes with people because she needs their kindness yeah i did not realize how much this video i watched just while i was getting ready for the day would tie into to what we're talking about but it was what i talked about horror versus terror earlier mm-hmm. And it was a video. I've never seen this film and I don't know that I will watch it, but it was interesting because of that concept. They said horror versus terror. I think it was the title of it, but it's about the lovely bones. Have you seen this film? I think I read the book maybe a long time ago. I have not seen Stanley Tucci's in it and Saoirse Roan. I'm sorry. I don't. How do you say her name? She was in Little Women. She played uh, the latest version of Joe in Little Women. Saoirse is her first name. Peter Jackson directed it. And they say he does a remarkable job of, in the very beginning of the film, we know what happens to her. She's narrating it and she says, I'm going to be murdered. Mm -hmm. And the part of it that makes it so horrifying is that you watch, you know what's going to happen to her. And the moment that she realizes what's going to happen to her is where the audience and her meet up and she knows she's not going to come out of it. But what was so sad is they show clips from the film and he, he looks like a a creepy fella, Mm -hmm. but she follows him into a field. She's like 14 years old. And then she goes down into his lair. And then as they're sitting there talking, they say, you can see on her face when she realizes Mm -hmm. not only, or or they say what Peter Jackson does a really good job of is something that usually happens to women is that you are in a situation where you can easily become overpowered. And then you realize I'm in a situation where something could happen to me. And that what he shows through this film is the moment that she realizes not only is something, could something happen to me, it's going Mm. to happen to me. And it makes me think of Beth where was she in a situation where she trusted? And now with our modern viewpoint, we go, don't go. Don't get in the car with whoever, male, female. I, I don't know. You'll tell us in the next episode who they think. But don't trust this person or don't go. Clearly, this is going to be bad. But she didn't know any better, mm-hmm. especially if she was so naive and emotionally immature. She and trusted, surviving. And surviving. She trusted people. Mm-hmm. And it. this is, the, it's so, it's how many episodes are we going to do where we say, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your situation. Listen to your gut and just be safe. Yeah. And and again, we'll say the same thing. We have the benefit of hindsight of hindsight and all these years of right like at the time she's experiencing this this is so unheard of right of course yeah so unheard of well why don't we go ahead and end there okay. for today Ashley of course we will be coming back um, next time we'll finish up this episode and talk about the investigation and some of those key suspects and, and basically what we know now mm-hmm. understanding that it's still unsolved of course mm-hmm. but who should we cheers well obviously we're going to cheers Beth because right. that's who the episode is is, is about and who it's for but a specific second person I would like to cheers is a person who spent 20 years going back to the original sources and really trying to suss out who she was mm-hmm. that person was Larry Harnish Larry Harnish yeah. so cheers to him cheers 
If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.